Thank you for listening to the Convergence House of Prayer podcast. Please enjoy this message by Pastor Greg Seamus. I feel like uh, during worship, the Lord just kind of dropped three passages in my heart to share. I had something I was going to do a little differently, but I'm going to jump into the... I feel like being obedient to the Holy Spirit, right? And so um, take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 145. And I want to talk about the greatness of God and fighting for our promises. And uh, this is something that's been significant for me over, uh, it doesn't matter what mic I get, it seems like it's, 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 it's fading out, right? Are you guys hearing it kind of whatever? So that's my administrative gift coming out of me, you know. So, um, so <clears throat> I... Uh, I ministered Psalm 145 has, has breathed life into me for a number of years. And uh, it, it's something that I'm zealous for. I, it's something that um, I, I fight for. And I, I think that when we talk about the greatness of God, we have to keep his greatness in front of us constantly. And if we don't keep the greatness of the Lord in front of us constantly, we'll, we, will, uh, we will run out of both hope and faith. And the greatness of God, remembering the greatness of God is fuel, not for survival, but for victory, right? Living in a place of victory. And one of the things I've been thinking about a lot is in the book of Acts, um, you know, as they were kind of tearing it up for Jesus... And 20,000 get saved in about a year and a half. And I believe those 20,000 were Jews because the gospel hadn't yet gone to the Gentiles. But, but those 20,000 that received Jesus and just seeing their demeanor, seeing, uh, just reading through the book of Acts and just seeing um, how they approached life is that they didn't, they didn't suffer from a victim mentality, they, they, were a, they had a victorious uh, mentality that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, right? And so even though they were persecuted, they actually rejoiced in the persecution. They counted it as worthy to be persecuted for the name of Jesus and for his sake. And so I feel like the, it's so much, this is my open confession, I feel so much of our of our Christian faith, we're reacting to what is being done to us. And we're in a position, and really, really what the, that does, it sets us into a place of being in survival mode with our faith. And I don't think that, though I, I recognize that we face problems, I recognize that we have, you know, those, there's, there's things in front of us that seem uh, sometimes monumental in the sense of big, you know, in, in, in terms of, you know, and quote, an impossibility, I, I believe that we have to approach that with, with the eyes of, in the heart that is, that's around the greatness of God and being victorious in the midst of it, right? And so I'm a little concerned about um, being so reactionary because I don't see that, uh, I don't see that yet in the book of Acts where we live in this place of being Something's happening to us. Something's happening to us. We're barely holding on. Something's happening to us. We're barely holding on, and I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to demean that. Like there are seasons when we actually we work through those. But 
the more and more I read the scripture, the more and more I see is like there's got to be a secret to standing in a place of being victorious and recognizing who is in us and actually being not living on the defensive mode, but actually being offensive. You know what I'm saying by offensive, not being, but maybe it is being offensive, but, but it's living on offense. And if we keep playing defense, we're not going to score. You can't win a game playing defense. And so without offense, you got to have, you got to move the ball forward. And so I just feel like the Lord is wanting to, to stir us this morning in, in the terms of recognizing, yes, there are things that happen to us, but at the same time, we have to have an attitude that is actually fueled by a victorious life and living victoriously. And we have to cancel out this victim thing. And I've been talking about this a lot, even during prayer time. I'll say, we you know... We're victorious in Jesus. We're not victims. We're victorious in Jesus. We're not victims. Let's quit living like victims and start living victoriously. Let's stop living like everything's happening to us and let's start taking it to the enemy, right? Because that's what Jesus did, right? He took it to the enemy and he destroyed his works and he set people free. That's his lifestyle. The ecclesia lifestyle is all about moving forward in God, recognizing, again, I want to emphasize this, recognizing that we it's not... We're not living problem-free. But even in our problems, if we squeeze the nutrients out of our problems, it sets us up for victory. And, the, and that's why it says that we could actually live from a place of moving from glory to glory. We can, we can actually move from glory. I'll, I'll just keep repeating it until I get an amen somewhere. That we actually move from glory to glory. Okay, we got one, all right? We move from glory to glory, and sometimes I think the biggest battle is waged in between our ears. And that's why I think it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, that we have to renew our mind. So we have to literally change the way we think, and because Jesus brought another government, a kingdom with him, and that just, that, that's just more than just a, a power encounter. That has to do with everything else. This, the life that Jesus lived and the life that... Now he lives through us is a transformational life that is actually moving, moving the ball forward. And, you know, we want to conform into his image. So recognize that every problem that we face is an opportunity to conform into the image of Jesus more if we handle the problem right. Are you guys okay? All right. So, so I just feel like you guys should just say something like this. I'm victorious in Jesus. I think you should just say it again. I'm victorious in Jesus. No weapon formed against me will prosper. And I'm victorious in Jesus. There was another scripture I forgot. It was there, and I just said, oh, I'll just go back to the first line because maybe that's what I should do. And so let's just have a little bit of fun on a Thanksgiving weekend. Turn to your neighbor next to you and say, you're victorious in Jesus. Come on now, let's say it with some faith. You're, you're victorious. Does, did that feel weird? Do you feel a little uncomfortable with that? Good. Find someone else next to you on the other side and say it again. Just launch it out. You're victorious. Yes. Yes. That's not pie in the sky stuff. That's like, that's true. That's truth. That's not, that's the word of God. So, so I have about 20 minutes and so I want to I want to be able to hit three portions of Scripture, all right? 
So this morning, let's just consider this a family chat, all right? So just say amen. So I got you. You're on the same page. Okay, Psalm 145. Are you guys there? I'm reading it out of the NIV 1984. Um, So let me just kind of give you a, a flyby of Psalm 145. It starts with praise, and then there's a good portion of Scripture that deal with the greatness of God. And those verses are actually verses 3 through 7. Then David, this is, well, let me just give you a little bit more context. This is the last psalm David writes. And from my understanding, it's actually read, continues to be read daily. My understanding was that it's being read by the, by the rabbis or three times a day. Because we have to be constantly reminded of the greatness and the goodness of the Lord. And then in verses 8 through, um, we talk about the attributes of God, verses 8 and 9. And then he moves into the kingdom of God, uh, verses 11 through 13. And then verses at the end of, I think, 13b, let's just call that b, uh, is the Lord's response to to our needs and to his promises and then it's our response to, to his goodness is in the following verses, and then it ends with praise. So it starts with praise, and it ends with praise. But what I want to draw our attention to is to focus, it focuses primarily on the greatness of God, which moves it into, which actually is the beginning point of the completion of the psalm. So let's go ahead, and, and I'm going to read it, and, and you guys can follow along with whatever translation and paper Bible or iPhone or smartphone you have, all right? I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and I will extol your name forever and ever. It's interesting how he says forever and ever, forever and ever. Verse 3, great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. This is so key as parents, is that we have to quit complaining and start declaring. We have to actually, our kids need to hear out of our mouth more about the greatness of God, the works of God, the mighty acts of God than what he's not doing. So we have to break the critical culture that we live in, which is very sarcastic and very negative, we have to declare the positive things around who God is and, more importantly, what he's doing. So it's important that, we, that our mouths are, are, are seasoned with, if I can use that word, with the greatness of the Lord. In other words, I, want you to, I just want you to to maybe just think with me for a moment. Think about your, your week last week, which is Thanksgiving week, right? And even the week before, how much of our talk is, is around the works of God? I think if we talked more about the works of God than what's going on in politics, we would have more faith. Oh, God, don't. It's our responsibility to commend, one generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. 
Verse 5, they will speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. Now, I think it's important that we meditate on Jesus, but it's certainly not wrong to meditate on what he did. And I'm not talking there, I'm not talking so much about the cross, which is amazing. Meditate on that. But I'm reading through, I'm using the Passion Translation, as you guys know. And I'm reading through the Gospel of Matthew, and I'm meditating on his works. And there's a great distance between what he's what he did and what I'm doing. And as I meditate on the works of the Lord, I'm actually stirred to a place of faith. Not to a place of condemnation, but to a place of faith. And I'm, I'm, I'm marveling because I, again, I, I'm a very, very, I love the word, okay? I can hug it. It's kind of weird, but I could, I mean, the living word is Jesus, but I can hug the word and say, oh, man, thank you for your promises. I don't know if you guys ever feel that way. Like when you read the word, there's life that flows in you and out of you. It's just a... The, you know, how the Holy Spirit's... Anyway, that's a whole other subject. Um, but I'm, I'm reading, and I'm, I'm, just, I'm just reading about he healed all. All that came to him, healed. Feeding the 5,000. Just the miracles, the signs, and the wonders. And I look for the small words in Scripture, like all. Any who had disease were healed. Everyone was, was delivered. I mean, these things are challenging, but that's what it's talking about because it says we need to meditate on his wonderful works. And I would encourage you that, that if you're not reading your, your Bible, I mean, if you're not reading your Bible daily, that's like we got to get you to first base. And then if you're reading your word, take time to meditate on the word. And the word meditate comes from the, comes from the word of, of a cow chewing on cud. You know how the cow just, and he swallows it, and then he regurgitates it, and he chews some more. Does anyone know that about cows? Yeah. That's what they do. That's the same, it's the same root word there. It means to, it means to read the word. It means to, <laughs> I'm not saying regurgitate, but you know what I'm saying in a spiritual application regurgitate the word and eat it some more. Draw the nutrients out of it. And I can just say that when we read, I'll just say this, I think the Bible is supernatural when it's fueled by the Holy Spirit. And so there's something life-giving about the word that I can't explain. But when I read it, life is poured into me. And so namely, here, in the context of what we're talking about this morning is that it's vital for us, if we're going to move the ball forward, that we actually be people who are meditating on the works of God. All right. You guys had too much pie. No, turkey. Turkey. That's what it is. That meditative, whatever that is, said it, whatever it is. Verse 6. They will tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. 
They will celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. Again, David's writing this. This is probably around 950 B.C. So the only thing he can draw back, Jesus is not even around. He's not going to be around for another 900 years, 1,000 years before Jesus even shows up. So he's going back to Moses. He's going back to Abraham. He's going back to the patriarchs. And he's, he's, his last psalm is this. Don't forget to meditate and declare the greatness of God. Don't neglect spending time reflecting on his goodness because it'll give you fuel for your daily life. Are you, you guys are just staring at me this morning. That's okay. You should. Verse 8. Then he says, the Lord is gracious and compassionate. He's slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. We can say amen to that. He has compassion on all he has made. I wonder if David meditated. I wonder if David wrote verses 3 through 7 and just put his pen down for a moment. He picks it up and he writes verses 8 and 9. Do you see it? The Lord is gracious and compassionate. It comes out of this place of reflecting on the works of God. I cannot tell you, because I feel like, this is what I felt like I got during worship, how important it is for us who are older. I mean, I say older, I don't want to say an old. For us who are older to pass on the stories of the wondrous works of God. And if we don't have any, we better get some. Because it's important to bring the word of God into their lives, which I think. But it's important also to bring our history in God before our own children and our grandchildren. If If you're a young married and you have kids and and you know what I'm saying, like, it's crazy, you know, when you have little ones running around. I try and remember those days. It's hard because I'm in a different season, but I do have grandchildren. And so they'll be with me. We're going to go to Disneyland for a few days, and we're bringing the grandkids. And I can't wait to sit in those little elephant rides that go spin round and round. I'd rather be on, you know, Indiana Jones, but... We'll go, on the, we'll go on the grandkid rides for a while. That's what I'm saying. And it's important that I feel the, uh, a responsibility when they're two and they're four to begin to pass on the stories of the wondrous works of God. And I just want to encourage you as, as parents, you got you to gotta share, you gotta share the works of God that are demonstrated in your own life to your own children. Let them see it. Let them not just be stories that we get from the word, which is amazing, but they also have to be your stories. And what I'm, I guess what I'm zealous for this morning in a very casual way, what I'm zealous for this morning is 
is if, if we look at our day, how much, how much are, the, are the works of God spoken in a, in a 24-hour day? Or is it more, you know, what's, you know, what's Trump doing? Or what's this person doing? Or what's that person doing? Which I understand there's concern, there could be concern and all that. I'm just, what I'm trying to say is that we better fill our day with some of this so that there's some faith. I don't care if you have to go back to a miracle that took place 10 years ago or 20 years ago. David goes all the way back. David goes back hundreds of years. And he pulls out the stories of the Red Sea. He pulls out the stories of things that took place hundreds of years, but he's intentional on declaring the greatness of God, and he meditates on the wondrous works of God so that his heart is moved to faith. Verse 8, so the Lord is gracious and compassionate. He's slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he's made. All you have made will praise you, O Lord. Your saints will extol you. They will tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might, or that word there is power. Verse 12, so that all men may know your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. You know, David's talking as a king to a king, like he understands kingdom, right? So he's moving through this, and then he says, verse 13, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your dominion endures through all generations. And then, he, then, he, then he, he moves in a little tighter. He says, the Lord is faithful to all his promises and loving toward all he has made. The Lord upholds all those who fall and lifts up all those who are bowed down. Really, the word there means distressed. Or he lifts up all those who are anxious. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. That's about hope and provision. Verse 16, you open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and loving toward all he has made. The Lord is near, or he approaches, that's what the word means, the Lord approaches all who call on him to all who call on him with truth or those who are sincere. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. That word there means to respect or to give him awe. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will exterminate. (laughs) That's what the word means. Destroy. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. The word there means thanks. Let every creature praise his holy name. That means to bless forever and ever. Here's the only thing I want you guys, well, hopefully there's more than one thing. I want you guys to consider and just looking at this, just looking at this psalm. David starts with praise. He, he begins to, ex, I guess he writes four verses, four long verses on the greatness of God, which actually sets the course for the rest of the song. Here's what I believe. I believe that when we fill our hearts and we fill our minds and we fill our spirits with the wondrous works of God, then we get verses 8 through 21. What I'm trying to encourage you with this morning is is fight 
fight because it's going to have to take, it's going to be a fight. Fight for encouraging yourself with the wondrous works and acts of God. In other words, if you're going to go from a place of glory to glory, if you're going to go from here to here, I'm telling you, verses 3 through 7 better apply. Because we're really not going to go from here and to there unless we actually spend time meditating on the works of God. Now, I know that, that I understand we're supposed to meditate on Jesus, I, and I assume that you all know that. What I'm trying to say is, in addition to the person of Jesus, we, we actually, it would, be, it would benefit us to read the stories and actually meditate on the stories, on the miraculous works of Jesus, so that he, those works can feed you into a place of when you're hitting those difficult situations, you can reflect because the Holy Spirit will bring it back to you and that you'll actually have faith to move the ball forward. Instead of living in this place of, oh no, what's happening to me this week? Oh my gosh, what's happening to me next week? Oh my, I can't, st- I'm, being, I'm being arrows are everywhere, oh my goodness. It's like, we have to get past the arrows we lift up the shield of faith. That's what the scriptures say. And that shield is to advance us to move forward despite the arrows. Oh, man. Let me conclude with this portion of scripture. Turn to Numbers chapter 13. Are you guys with me? I know. Okay. I just want to encourage you this morning, this afternoon. But you guys are so quiet, you're concerning me. The Lord taught me a principle many years ago about about Hebron. And let me just try and summarize the story as quickly as I possibly can. Moses is about ready to take the land. And he, he's, in Numbers 13, he, he sends out 12 spies to actually explore the territory, right? And to actually offer, uh, get, gain information, get intel. Give me, give me intel on the land. And I want you to bring back this report to me. So uh, let's pick it up. Are you guys in Numbers 13? Because I'm, I'm going to read a, a portion of scripture that's, just a couple verses, verse 21. Well, actually, verse 17. Then Moses sent them to explore Canaan, and he said, Go up through the Negev and on into the country. See that the land is like, see what the land is like, whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of, what kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they walled or fortified? How is, the, uh, how is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees on it or not? Do your best to be, bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was a season for the first ripe grapes. And bo- they were big grapes, right? So they went up and they explored the land in the desert of Zin as far as Rehob. I know I'm pronouncing it wrong. Toward Lebo. 
on this other place, and they went up through the Negev, and they came to Hebron. Everyone say Hebron. Where uh-huh, and T-A-L-M-A-I, the descendants of Anak lived. Hebron has been built seven years before Zonav in Egypt. When they reached the valley of, yep, they cut off the branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them, and there were some pomegranates and figs. For all you fruit lovers, they place, the place they called is the Valley of Escal. Sounds like a gasoline. Because of the cluster of grapes, the Israelites cut off there, and at the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. Um, and then Moses asked for them, give me a report, verse, four, uh, verse 13, I mean, chapter 13, excuse me, and verse, wherever that's at, was going to start, verse 27. He says, we went into the land which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey, and here's the fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large, we even saw the descendants of Anak there. The Malachites live in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea. And then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we, certainly, we, can, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack these people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land that we explored devours those living in it. Man, these leaders need to be slapped. All the people we saw there are of great size. And we saw the Nephilim. Mm, I know I pronounced that wrong. There, the descendants of Anak come and, yep. And then we seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we looked the same to them. And here's the point. The point is, I think that as we reflect on the greatness of God, when we have the challenges like this, we actually have a Caleb spirit. And what's important to know is that, and this is the part I'm trying to tie in in the next few minutes, is that Hebron was the place where Abraham was, where Isaac was, it was a place where Sarah was. In fact, Hebron was the place where they were all they were, they were all uh, they all died and were buried in Hebron. In other words, Hebron represented the very promises of God. Hebron um, uh, Hebron was something that was known to these twelve. In other words, there was history attached to Hebron. They knew. They understood the patriarchs. They understood that the very promises of God were actually sitting in this particular city, but it actually was filled with giants. And so when they, were, when they approached Hebron, this, you know, I could see them nudging each other and say, bro, like, this is Hebron. Like, bro, like, this is, this is where Abraham was. This is where Sarah was. This is where Isaac was. This is it. This is the place where they had encounters with the living God. This is Hebron. But they didn't see, they saw, they saw Anak clearer than they saw Hebron, the promises. 
So much so that they understood the promises of God. They understood this is the place we're supposed to go. But these leaders came back and they gave the people, I'm talking about a million people, a bad report and they basically said, we cannot seize the promises of God because we have Anak on the dirt of this city. And I'm making a connection. I believe that if they meditated on the greatness of God and they reflected on the goodness of God, like Caleb did, they could say, surely we can go ahead and defeat Anak and actually seize the promise. You're always going to have a giant on your promise. Thing is, what are you going to do with it? (laughs) The Terminator, right? And so what they do is they field a bad report. I mean, a crushing blow. And I'm telling you how important it is for leaders to understand the greatness of God and deliver it to the people. If you have a leader who's faithless, they're not really leading really well in the kingdom. So he... So they issue the bad report, the people's faith, their hope just dwindles. Caleb tries to recover, and Caleb says, you guys, we could take it. Too late. Is it the people's fault? No, it's the leader's fault. Primarily. So, you know the story. So they say, you know what? We blew it. Let's go back. Let's, let's take the land. And Moses like, the grace of God's been lifted. Don't do it. They went ahead. They tried to do it. They got killed. And because of this decision, they actually never touched the lip, never step in a generation of wandering until the, the, the next generation has enough faith to go in. What's crazy about it, and I, I know I shared this a hundred times, this 101, is that Caleb, 45 years later, when they're issuing out the land, what does he go after? He goes after Hebron. And he says, because the Lord was gracious to Caleb and Joshua and said, they said, these guys aren't going to go in. And so they go in. And there they stand, Joshua's there, and I just get the eye-to-eye contact for a moment. So there they are, 45 years later, they're dishing out the land, and here comes Caleb, 85 years old. I don't know if he had a cane. You know, he didn't have a cane. No way he doesn't have a cane. Oh, my gosh. All right. So he steps in, and he says, hey, Joshua, remember what Moses said? He said, the promise was, I get to go in, and the promise was, I actually get the city. And this is what he says. He goes, I'm just as 
I'm just have, I have just as much energy as I did 45 years ago. Now, that's a prayer for every person who's over 50. All right? I love it, man. I mean, I want to swing to the end. You know, I, I, I don't, you know, God bless you if you guys, if you want to get in a motorhome and just blaze trails or whatever. I just want to swing in ministry to the end is what I'm saying, you know. And so, I mean, you can have a motorhome and do, okay, anyway. So uh, just a spirit around this. And so there he is. He says, hey, I, I want Hebron. And here's the thing I want to share with you. And this is the, these are the connection points. I believe there's a direct connection with taking cities and seizing God's promises with meditating on the works of God. I believe they're vitally connected. I could guarantee you that when you're, if you're struggling in your faith, let's say over a problem, I'll just say it this way with, I'll just say it coming out of my own life. When I'm, when I'm facing something that's big, if, I'll just call it a mountain. If I don't spend time meditating on the works of God, I will struggle with that mountain. But I also found this out. When I see a mountain and I reflect on the works of God, the works of God in my own life, and the works of God in Scripture, I have faith for the mountain. That's why David says, strengthen yourself in the Lord. So I don't know what it is with you this this weekend. I don't know if it's financial things. I don't know if it's relational things. I don't know if it's a... It's moving your business forward. I don't know, I don't know what it is that, that there's this mountain that might be standing in front of you. My encouragement to you is don't cower to the mountain. My, my encouragement to you is you're actually standing on the very promises that God has given you. And don't, don't, uh, don't step back and away from the promise and give yourself a bad report like God can't do it. Step into it, and there's always going to be a giant on a promise. But the promise is still yours. So seize it. That's where we have to access heavenly keys. Are you guys okay? All right, I want you guys to stand. I told you I'd be done early. At least a little earlier. And yeah, if you can get a keyboard or guitar. I've never heard someone call up a bass player. <laughs> We're going to close the service. Can I get a bass player up here? I mean, I love bass. You know, I mean, at the Warrior game, gosh, I felt like my skin was, the bones were going to fall out of my body with the bass that was going on there, you know. All right. Can we just be honest with the Lord? Always. Is there a mountain that stands in front of you that you don't feel like you have faith for? If that's you, would you be bold enough to put your hand up? Okay. What I want you to do is I want you to take a moment and I want you to begin to meditate 
on the works of God. And I want you to start with your own life. I want you to run back through the history of where God's come through for you. Can you do that? Jordan's going to play and give you 30 seconds. Just run back. The Lord will bring back. The Holy Spirit is going to, he's going to, put, he's going to show a short film in your mind. And let the history of God un, just unfold like a, like a movie of his faithfulness and goodness to you through the years. Now I want you to look at the look at the problem in light of the history. Go ahead. What's happening to the problem? While it's still there, I don't think it's as big as you think it is in light of his wondrous works. I know there's a reach for us. God, can you do it again? Can you do it again? But I'm telling you that you've already been given seed for that problem that you're facing. Part two, now I want you to reflect, if you can, on the, on the wondrous works that we find in the Word. Let the Holy Spirit reveal to you the miraculous in the word. The parting of the Red Sea. The provision of feeding 5,000. Let the Holy Spirit highlight stories, accounts. What's happening, what's happening to the problem? While it's still there, it falls under the shadow of the greatness of God. That's what I'm hoping for. And the greatness of God is going to give you more faith for the thing that's in front of you. So now I want you to pray a simple prayer. Father, increase my faith for what stands in front of me. Ask him. Father, increase my faith for what stands in front of me. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. 
One generation will commend your works to another, and they will tell of your mighty acts. They will speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. So I say to the mountain, come down in the name of Jesus. And I exhort you, seize the promise, though there's a giant on it. I exhort you to ask the Lord according to Matthew 16, 19. Father, give me the keys to access this gate that stands in front of me because there's a solution. And you're the God who parts the Red Sea. You're the God who uses a teenager to slay a giant. You're a God who takes 300 and beats 10,000. You're a God who can walk on water, say to the wind, be still, storm stop. You're the God who actually steps out of a boat and a demon runs to him and throws his face before him and you deliver him and he becomes the first evangelist. But let the works of God rise up inside of you. This is not a game. This is not something that we, a little fun exercise. This is between something between life and death as a believer. You're the God. Woman just touches the hem of their garment, your garment. 12 years instantly delivered. You're the God that says power was taken from me. Somebody seized something by their faith and they reached out and they grabbed hold of something. I felt it. I felt power being released. You're the God who burst forth out of a tomb. You're dead. You're alive. That's who we serve. That's who you serve. I will meditate on your wonderful works. So, Lord, I pray that you supply faith for the mountain. You supply faith for the mountain. Now let them fill you with faith. I feel like there are people here, you're receiving a measure of faith. Because the Lord actually distributes faith in measures. You're receiving a measure of faith. I want you just to say, I receive it. Say, I receive it. Say it again, I receive it. Yeah.
I'll just include from verse 21. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. I think it's critical right now for you to offer up thanks to the Lord for the measure he's given you. Go ahead, offer up thanks. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more messages like this, please subscribe and thank you for listening.